Well, this week we are in chapter number 16 of our book, Spiritual Depression, and this chapter is entitled Trials. Trials. And Martin Lloyd-Jones uses 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 as the foundation for this 16th lesson. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Peter says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And using Peter's words as a springboard in the continuation of his study on spiritual depression, Martin Lloyd-Jones notes that another common cause of depression among the Christian community is connected with various trials that enter into the life of believers. And this, as he notes, is precisely why Peter is writing this letter to believers in 1 Peter. Peter is writing to encourage weary sheep who have been beat up by various trials. Peter is writing to persecuted believers who have been scattered from their homes, scattered from their communities because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Peter is writing to followers of Christ who are discouraged by difficult circumstances that have come their way. And here at the beginning of the chapter, Lloyd-Jones once again highlights the apparent contradiction that appears in the lives of these Christian people. He says these Christian people have been born again, and they've been born again unto a lively hope. 1 Peter chapter 1, they are greatly rejoicing in the salvation that God has brought to them in the depths of their hearts. They are. Yet at the same time, they are struggling with fears and doubts, frustrations and weaknesses because of various trials that have come into their life. So here, once again, we find that Lloyd-Jones calls this paradox into our minds that exists within the Christian life. There are two things that seem to be mutually exclusive. On the one hand, these believers are greatly rejoicing, yet on the other hand, they are in great heaviness. Here they have an inward joy that no man can take away, while they are sincerely grieved and troubled, distressed by the problems of life. And this, as we have been studying, is a common biblical reality of the Christian life. Despite what the health, wealth, and prosperity teachers will tell you on their programs, the Christian life is not a problem-free life filled with unspoiled happiness. Lloyd-Jones mentions there at the bottom of page 219 that there is a superficial view of Christianity which would regard this paradox as something that is impossible. He says there's this false estimation of the Christian life which simply asserts that becoming a Christian means all your problems will go away and you will live in a state of perpetual bliss. But such a belief, such a teaching cannot be supported by Scripture. 
In Scripture, we find that those who come to know Christ savingly will have times of spiritual distraction, spiritual despondency, and doubts. Though believers are given a peace that passes all understanding through the power of the gospel, living in this fallen world as humans, Christians will still battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we find this in the testimony of Job. Job said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. He's going through difficult times, yet at the same time, he's rejoicing in God. We find it in David in the Psalms. The circumstances in his life are dark and troubling. He's walking through the valley of the shadow of death, yet he's rejoicing in the God of his salvation, his rock, his refuge. We see this in the life of Abraham. We find it in the lives of those that Peter is writing to. We find it also in the life of Peter himself. There's this apparent contradiction. Believers who know Christ are dealing with the difficulties of life. They're fighting off anxiety. They're fighting off unbelief and doubt. And knowing that others have dealt with this, ought to be a great encouragement to our hearts. If we're finding ourselves discouraged and depressed, we can point back uh, to Scripture. We can look at the examples of others who knew the Lord savingly, who had their times of disappointments. And we can rejoice in the fact that we are not alone. And what we are facing is not rare. It's not even unusual. God has told us in His Word several times that in this life, as a believer, there will be discouragement. There will be disappointments. Jesus told His disciples this. Don't fear. Don't be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. In this life, you, have, you will have tribulation. Paul told Timothy, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. As we walk as pilgrims to the celestial city, there will be instances in which we are troubled on every side. So this is the first introductory truth that Lloyd-Jones wants us to recall to our mind. It's needful to remember in our discussion of spiritual depression that the Christian is not one who's become immune to the circumstances of life and the grief and sorrow that are sometimes encountered within such circumstances. When we become Christians, God does not pluck us out of this world. He keeps us in this world with its problems to broadcast His joy within the midst of these problems to the world, you see? And that's the difference. That's why God keeps us in this world filled with problems as we have this hope, this peace, this joy, so that we can show this world that there is one who can help us. There's one who can bring salvation. There's one who provides life and life more abundantly. The world does not know this. The world goes through their problems, and what do they run to? They run to drugs. They run to alcohol. They run to find fulfillment and satisfaction in relationships, in immoral activities. 
And those things cannot satisfy. They try to drink down one satisfaction after another satisfaction after another satisfaction, just like the woman at the well, and they only find themselves more empty. And no wonder the suicide rates are just exploding. No wonder so many people are seeking out secular counselors for help. No wonder pain pills and depression pills are abounding on every side. They're looking for some sort of hope, some sort of rock. They can't find it. And they'll never find it apart from Christ. But Lloyd-Jones is saying the believer has something unique. The believer has something the lost world does not have. And they have Christ who is their rock. They have a solid foundation. Though they are beaten like the parable of the two men and the foundations that they're standing upon, though the troubles of life beat upon them, they will stand because their faith is firm upon the rock. So Peter is writing First Peter to believers in the midst of the storm. They are dealing with anxiety, but they are rejoicing in God. Now, moving beyond this initial point, Lloyd-Jones near the bottom of page 221 proceeds by setting forth two principles regarding how we ought to deal with trials that come our way. And the first principle Lloyd-Jones offers as a solution to dealing with depression that is produced during times of trial is the need to recognize why trials come our way. The need to recognize why trials come our way. And let me just pause here and note how important it is to call things to mind so that they might affect our behavior. What we think affects what we do. Our beliefs affect our behavior. So in these points, notice, that Lloyd-Jones is giving the medication for depression to these believers, and the medication is truth. The truth of God's Word, the truth about God. The truth shall make us free. We need to be believers who operate in truth. So, solution number one, we need to recognize why trials come our way if we are to persevere through the storm. And why do trials come our way? Lloyd-Jones says, trials come our way because God has appointed them for us. Romans 8.28 And we know, believers, we know that all things work together for good to those who are the called according to His purposes. We know that all things work together for good. All things. That which we consider to be good and that which we consider to be bad. Happy times and sad times. Trials and blessings. All things work together for our good. Not just our physical good, but our spiritual good. Our growth in Christ-likeness. God has appointed trials for our Benefit. He's the potter. We're the clay. 
And the purpose of the potter in sending trials our way is not to break us, but to build us. It's not to destroy us, but to develop us in the faith. Trials come our way because they are good for us. Now, in the moment, we wonder, how can this be good for us, right? How is there any way that this trial can be good for us? It's like one on a sports team when their coach sends them to the line and do suicide drills. I can remember my high school coach even now. You will be running until somebody throws up. And he meant it. And I'm thinking, oh boy, how can this be good for us? What's he teaching? Endurance, perseverance, deal with the pain. Now that might be a little excessive. Till somebody throws up, we're not going to stop. But it was good for us. There will be time. Fourth quarter is going to come around. Maybe overtime, double overtime. And we need to push through. It's good for us. So in a spiritual sense, trials, hard times, heartaches come our way because it's good for us. Trials come our way sometimes to awaken us out of our spiritual slumber. That's good for us. Sometimes we can become apathetic, a little lazy in our faith. So God sends a trial our way to wake us up. Like Jonah, he was spiritually sleeping, didn't want to obey the Lord, and God prepared a great fish, a great storm to wake him up and to show him that God is God and God alone. Trials have a way of teaching us lessons that we cannot learn in times of prosperity. This is for our good. There are lessons that we do learn in prosperity, but I would submit to you, that there are greater lessons to be learned in times of loss, in times of difficulty, because it's in those times that we're driven to our knees. When God takes everything from us, we run to the throne of God's grace to find strength in our time of need. So under this point, Lloyd-Jones mentions that the trials sent our way by God are often used to prepare us for something. And then he gives three biblical examples. Joseph is one. Joseph, betrayed by his brothers, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, forgotten about all those years of affliction. Why did Joseph have to go through all that he went through? Because God was going to save Joseph's brothers. Joseph didn't know that. But God knew it. God sent these trials in Joseph's life so that he might be a servant, a Christ-like blessing to his people. God sends trials our way to often prepare us for something ahead. David. Why did David have so many trials at his life, even in his young age before he became king? I mean, at once, after he takes down Goliath, Saul is on this hunt to destroy David. And he's running from Saul in the wilderness. Why? Why all these trials? Here's why. David need to be prepared by God to be a humble king, a prayerful king. That's what the people needed. The people didn't need a king who looked handsome, a king who was tall. Saul was one who was 
self-sufficient. They needed a king who would look to the Lord, who would rejoice in him. They needed a king who knew what it was to go without. And David was that man in the wilderness. He was without. He wasn't living in the luxurious palace. He needed to know what the peasants would go through. And so that caused him to relate to his people later. God used those trials for good. And then what about Paul? Why did Paul go through so many trials? I mean, here he goes immediately after his conversion experience uh, from one trial to another trial to another trial. Why? Well, the purpose is so that God might use him to plant churches across the Gentile world. It would be hard going into the Gentile world filled with pagans and paganism. Uh, But God is going to use Paul as an example to other pastors of what true ministry looks like. True ministry involves weakness. True ministry involves prayer and waiting on the Lord. It's not going to be easy. So I'm thankful for the example of Paul. God used Paul's trials for my good, for my benefit as a pastor. Paul preached week by week, year by year. There was no fruit. Did Paul get discouraged in that? Absolutely. How do we know? Well, in Corinth, Jesus Christ came to Paul and said, Paul, don't give up. Be not discouraged. Keep speaking, for I have much people in the city. You keep preaching. Seeds will be planted. Seeds will be watered. And in time, I will give my increase. Pastors benefit from that today. And so, Paul didn't know it at that time, but God used it to prepare him for something great. And then in the middle of page 226, Lloyd-Jones mentions that lesser trials come our way to prepare us for greater trials. God, in His kindness, prepares us for future difficulties. And what kindness we see in the Lord. Can you imagine first coming to Christ as a new Christian and then just the whole world being flipped upside down upon your head? I mean, can you imagine... Being like Job, when you first come to faith in Christ, where everything goes against you. I mean, death in the family, your house taken away, your health going south, all at once. God uses trials to prepare us for future difficulties. So in our bouts of spiritual depression, it's needful that we first recognize why trials come our way. Why? Number one, because God appoints them for our good. Now, the second encouraging principle Lloyd-Jones mentions as an aid in dealing with depression that is produced in the midst of trials is the need to remember that our faith needs to be perfected. And catch it, we need to call to mind. We need to remember because we're prone to forget. And the devil would love for us to forget these truths. We're prone to forget that our faith needs to be perfected. And under this point, Lloyd-Jones uses Peter's mentioning of faith being similar to gold and thus is purified by what? By fire. What do we know of fire? It's hot. It stings. It's uncomfortable. So God sends trials our way to strengthen our faith. We don't have perfect faith at salvation, do we? Faith needs to be developed. Faith needs to be strengthened. 
patience needs to be developed. So, we can take encouragement in the fact that trials come our way because God has appointed them for our good. And one of those reasons of good is that our faith needs to be perfected. It needs to be matured. It's like a young child that learns to crawl. And then crawling turns to walking. And in the walking, there will be times that child falls and stumbles and gets bruises and starts crying. That child gets on a bike. There are training wheels. Even when training wheels are on the bike, there will be times they fall cut their elbow open, they take off the training wheels, they try to do it without the training wheels. And doing that, they're going to fall. More bruises, more pain. But it's through that process that they learn to ride their bike. And so it is in the Christian faith. We need to develop. We need to grow. There are growing pains in our development. There are times that the potter will take us and mold us and there will be uncomfortableness in that. But we cast ourselves upon Him knowing that He has a purpose and He has a plan behind it all. So there's principle number two. During times of trial, we need to remember that our faith needs to be perfected. And then on the bottom of page 228, Lloyd-Jones gives us a third principle That needs to be recognized, which is the fact that God sends trials our way to show the genuineness of our faith. God sends trials across our path, across the paths of others, to test the genuineness of our faith. Trials demonstrate whether or not we are truly rooted in Christ. Trials reveal whether someone's faith is authentic or counterfeit, living, or dead. And we see this in various parables given in Scripture. Remember, the one who hears and the one who hears and obeys. There's one whose life is built upon the rock and one whose life is built upon the sand. Trials, troubles come to reveal what foundation they are building upon. And then we have the parable of the sower. In the parable of of the sower, some appear to be genuine converts at first with joy. They follow the things of God, but then trial comes. Trouble comes. Loss comes. Disappointment comes. And they're gone. The faith that we thought that they had, they reject. And so we see, trials reveal the genuineness of one's faith. Some follow Christ only for free food. We see that in Scripture. Christ fed the multitude. The multitudes like free food, just like all people do. But then when Christ starts teaching doctrine... When Christ starts saying that the Christian life involves taking up a cross, denying yourself and following him. Oh, no, no, I didn't sign up for this. I'm just here for the soup kitchen benefits. Don't be talking about death and crosses. I don't want any of that. I don't want wholehearted commitment. I'll just come when I feel like it. Others like to see Jesus do miracles. They like the show. 
Come see a man. This is the greatest magician who's ever lived. The greatest magician since Egypt is here in Israel. Come. I mean, he's allowing the deaf to hear, the blind to see. He's raising the dead. Let's go see this free event. But when Jesus started calling on others to do the will of God, they fled. They fled at once. They didn't have true faith. They had a counterfeit faith. They had an entertaining faith. But those who are truly in Christ, those who are truly rooted in the beloved, will not forsake Christ when trials come. Why? Because they're in the hand of the Father. And no man is able to pluck them out. Neither life nor death, no trials, no persecutions can separate them from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And in the middle of page 229, Lloyd-Jones says this, quote, There is nothing which so certifies the genuineness of a man's faith as his patience and his patient endurance, his keeping on steadily in spite of everything, end quote. And this reminds me of another quote that I often say that you've heard before. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. So we've seen people profess the name of Christ. We've seen people pass through the doors of our church and they come in. It appears that they know the Lord. It appears that at one time they've been saved, but in the giving of time, as we watch them deal with trials and troubles, They flee. They're gone. They thought Jesus was going to fix all their physical, temporal problems. So they looked to a false Christ, really. They thought Jesus was just a cherry on their whipped cream life. And then that whipped cream is cut off, and they think, I want none of this. So trials reveal the genuineness of one's faith. Principle number one, we recall why trials come. They come because they've been ordained by God and ordained by God for our good. Number two, we need to remember that our faith needs to be perfected and matured. None of us have arrived. We're still in that maturing process. Number three, we need to remind ourselves that God sends trials our way to show the genuineness of our faith. If we still love the Lord Jesus Christ, after we've endured great trials and trouble, if we still want to seek first the kingdom of God, after everything has been taken from us, we can rejoice in the fact that God has done a work in our heart. And that's an evidence of true salvation, true conversion, persevering in the faith. So if you have doubts, if you're wondering, am I truly in Christ or not? Well, look back. Will you serve Christ for nothing? That was Satan's accusation towards Job. You send trials and trouble in Job's life, he will forsake you. He will curse you to your faith. And God says, oh yeah, let's just see his genuineness. Watch. Now if Job would have cursed God to his face, if Job would have fled in the problems, we would have questioned his salvation, and rightly so. But he didn't. Job said, though he slay me, yet I'm going to trust him. Job said, God can take everything away from me if he wants, but I still know my Redeemer, and I will stand in the latter day. 
So you're searching things out as far as maybe your own soul, your own heart. Can you still praise God? Can you still rejoice in His goodness even after the storms of life? Do you still love Him? Will you serve Him for nothing? If God takes away everything from your life this week, will you still tell others that you're a follower of Christ? You see, that's the indication. That's the test of faith. We have too much phony baloney faith going on in Christianity today. I'll only serve God if things go my way. I'll only serve God if I get that promotion at work. If my bank account stays full. If my health stays secure. But if anything goes wrong, I'm done. They treat Jesus like a lucky rabbit's foot. That they can rub. They treat Jesus like some vending machine or some magic genie that will give them wishes. No, this is not the faith that God gives. So Lloyd-Jones gives these three principles, and then he concludes by giving two final thoughts regarding heaviness that comes by trial. At the bottom of page 229. And the first thing he notes is that trials that are sent by God occur for a season. We need to remember this in our trials The trials sent our way by God occur for a season. That's what the text says in 1 Peter chapter 1. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, not for a life, but for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. So Lloyd-Jones wants us to remember for our encouragement that trials are not perpetual. God does not keep His children permanently under the dark storms of trial. We had a physical storm last weekend. We endured it. There was damage done. Dark clouds, severe rains. But praise God, we don't have to live in that each and every day. Praise God, we don't have to come to church every Sunday with threats of flooding. They come in seasons and they come for a reason. And then number two, Lloyd-Jones concludes by having us remember that the believer has cause for rejoicing in their trials during these seasons. What are the causes for rejoicing? Well, first and foremost, we can uh, rejoice in the blessing of salvation. We can rejoice that in the midst of the storms, Christ is there with us. Christ has saved us. He's promised us eternal life. We have the promise of sanctification. God uses trials to grow us in Christ. We have the promise that God will never leave us nor forsake us. Our trials are ordained by God. Trials will help us to relate to others, to encourage others. God comforts you in your trials so that you might comfort others in their trials. Trials help us to be weaned from the world. When we see that the things of this life can't satisfy and we go through that purification process by trials, we're weaned from the things of this life. And then trials prepare us for heaven, don't they? Trials give us a longing for that place where there's no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain. Paul says that. He says, I'm in this straight betwixt two. I'm in this dilemma. I have a depart and be with God, but it's more needful for me to be with you. If it were up to me, I'd rather just go to heaven now. I'm tired of the problems that this life brings. I'd rather be with Christ. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. 
So trials give us that yearning for the time that our faith will become sight. And don't we say, even so come Lord Jesus? How many of you would be content to go to heaven now? I mean, how many of you want to live forever in this world filled with problems? Anyone? Any takers? <laughs> All right, no fools this morning. Great. That's our longing. We're getting old. Tired. Cast down. Weak. Oh, to be with Christ. Trials prepare us for that day of great rejoicing. So we persevere in joy, knowing that one day God will wipe away all of our tears. Our present pain will give way to eternal joy. So this is the Christian way of dealing with trials. This is the Christian way with dealing with depression that come our way by trials. We can call to mind that God has purposed them. God has purposed them so that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And trials will not last forever. So in closing, let me ask of you, are you discouraged? Are you depressed this morning? And then why? Why are you discouraged? What's the reason? Examine it. Do you have genuine faith in the Lord? Can you joy in God despite the troubles that surround you? If not, perhaps your trials are revealing that you need to place your faith in the rock. You need to find that refuge from the storm of death that is to come. If that's you today, I invite you again to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and find in Him hope, find in Him peace, find in Him everlasting life.